Thank you, Valentina. Thanks for your prayer and for your excitement about uh, the retreat. And I will echo her words. If you've got a student, grade 6 to 12, uh, you want them on that retreat. You want them in a place where God can, they can encounter God in a place that is free from their distractions. And especially as they start their school year, be able to go to that place and to meet with the Lord. So we want to fill up every spot that we have available. Uh, so I encourage you to get your students registered uh, today uh, for that retreat. Just a quick announcement from me. I uh, want to let you know about a change that's happening on our ministry staff here in Burlington. Uh, about uh, six years ago, I went to Donna Favini and said, hey, we need someone to lead our kids' ministry here at Mount Hope in Burlington. Would you be willing to step into that role? And after much prayer, she said, I'll do it for a year, maybe two at the most. Six years later, uh, she has been serving and really been a blessing to our kids' ministry here at Mount Hope. Amen. Uh, in the last six months, you may have seen another change to the Favini family. If you haven't, he's right back there with Donna in her arms. Leo is five months old right now. And uh, with their third child, Evan's there too, with their third child, after much prayer, uh, Donna and Eric have let us know that they need to, she needs to step away from that role and spend some time focusing on their three kids right now and their home. And so after much prayer and deliberation and maybe a little bit of arguing from me trying to keep her in the role, but not really. Uh, this is what the Lord wants, and, and we, we're going to just honor her as she steps away. We'll take a little time on September 4th. She's working through the end of August to recognize her in the service. But I wanted to let you know this morning that that transition is happening, give you a chance to thank Donna, especially you parents who many of your kids have benefited from not only her teaching, but her leading of our kids' ministry. And so we'll take a little more time on September 4th to do that, but we wanted to this morning. I'll just let you know about that, give you a chance to talk to Donna and let her know your appreciation. You may be asking what's coming next. Where do we go from here? Do you have anyone to step into the role? We do. I'm glad you asked. Um, we do. After all so much prayer and deliberation, and I know went into it, uh, Kathy Duncan, who has been leading our JBQ and ministry involved with our kids for many years, she felt the Lord uh, leading her to step into that role. Our kids' ministry is going to have a little different structure than it did under Donna. And Donna's like, why didn't you do this when I was there? But um, actually, she pioneered it during her maternity leave. And I think we want to stick with it. We're going to have a director over our nursery, our preschool, and our elementary school. And then Kathy will work with those directors. So we have nursery and elementary covered, but we are still looking for a preschool director. So if that's you, something you have experience with, or something maybe you'd want to hear more about, you can talk to Donna, or you can talk to Kathy. Raise your hand. This is Kathy. Uh, either one would be more than happy to talk with you about that. Um, and so I'll leave that at that, um, and we'll take a little more time in a couple weeks to appreciate the ministry that Donna has done. Would you pray for Kathy and Donna in these coming weeks during this transition time? We'd appreciate it. Pastor Marvin, I think he's got some events that are coming up. I'll Speaking of kids. <laughs> All right. Speaking of kids, we're going to dismiss our children, kindergarten through fifth grade. They are going to go head out which way? That way. There we go. They're headed out towards Kids Church, and our Ignite uh, middle school group is meeting downstairs. They're going to head out those doors. Uh, Clay's got an incredible lesson for them as well. Well, good morning. Before I transition out of kids' ministry, would you take a moment to appreciate all of our kids' ministry staff and volunteers?
Donna's been blessed with an incredible team around her, and so we want to say thank you as a church for people who would invest in our children to spend time investing in their development as they develop socially and also spiritually, and as they get to know and they explore their world around them, as they get to know their God. We thank you for the part that you play. Uh, quickly, I want to take a quick uh, a moment to uh, let you know of, of a few things that are happening in the life of the church. But before I do that, I want to welcome those of you who may be visiting uh, here for the first time. Maybe this is your second. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your story. Uh, there is a QR code on on the screen behind me or in the seat pocket in front of you. Take a moment, scan that or fill that card out. It's a great way for you to let us know, hey, I was here. Uh, tell us a little bit about your story. Share whatever information you're comfortable with. We'd love to send you an email this week telling you about some of your next steps or how to get involved or how to uh, get more connected with the church and uh, some of the resources that way. I know Pastor Rick would love to have a quick, uh, just say a quick hello to you. So do take advantage of that. If you have a prayer request or a praise report, we'd love to pray and celebrate with you. So do take advantage of that. Um, this Tuesday, or not this Tuesday, on Tuesday the 30th, 30th of August, right here in our Burlington location, we're going to have our last worship night of the summer. And if you've been to one of those, you know what an incredible time it is. It's just a time for us to get together as a community. We, we meet outside in the parking lot. Just sing. Just worship and pray. And that's that's all uh, that we do, and it's a great time for us to be able to do that. So if you haven't been out to one of those, I'd encourage you to come out because it's going to be an incredible night. I keep using the word incredible, um, and I truly believe it is. Uh, it's going to be a great night. Uh, we, we'll worship the Lord, but we'll also take some time to celebrate with a few people as they get baptized. Uh, it's their next step in their faith journey, and so let's take a moment to mark that moment with them. So we'll have... Our worship night is the first part of the night where we'll, we'll sing, we'll spend some time in worship. Starts, starts at 6.30, we'll do baptisms, and right after that, at 7, uh, 7.30 p.m., we're going to transition to our movie night. And um, if you haven't been to our movie night, we used to do this before COVID. Uh, we haven't had the chance to do that in the last couple of years. But it's just a great opportunity for us to invite the community around us, especially as we mark the end of summer, and we, uh, we, we look forward to all our students and our kids going back to school. It's a great opportunity to invite your neighbors and friends and family. We'll watch a, a family-friendly movie. We'll have snacks. We'll have refreshment. We'll have just a wonderful evening with each other as we, as we get to know each other and our community. So if you haven't been to one of those or either one of these events, come out Tuesday, August 30th. It'll be a great evening. Um, if you have been around Mount Hope for any period of time, you know one of the things, one of our passions is the gospel that touched our lives, that transformed our lives. It's our passion that it'll make its way around the world, our, to our backyards and around the world to communities that have never heard it. So we, every year, we take some time to celebrate that. We celebrate the work that God is doing through all of you here, but also through our partners. Uh, as a church, we have the privilege to partner with uh, quite a few people who are both here in the U.S. and outside in places that sometimes you may hear us talking about it, sometimes you may not, um, just in doing some incredible work, do it handling some complex and uh, challenging situations, but taking the gospel into those places. And so we're going to take some time to celebrate that this, uh, this October. The theme for the year is He is Worthy. It comes out of Revelation, uh, Revelation chapter 4, Revelation chapter 4 and 5. If you've read that, you know it's the scene where in, at the end, people from every nation, every tribe, every language, ev all people, all people who call Jesus their Lord— stand up and they declare he is worthy. He is worthy. And, and that's an incredible picture of that last moment. And we get to celebrate that. If you look around this room, one thing you'll notice is that we don't all look alike, that we have some incredible diversity in this room. As a matter of fact, this last year when we counted, we had over 40 nations represented in our Mount Hope community between Burlington and Belmont.
It's an incredible thing to celebrate because it's not often that you get people from such diverse backgrounds and legacies come together and say the same thing, that he is worthy. And we get to do that Sunday after Sunday. And so we want to celebrate that this year. But we need your help. Uh, here's how you can help. On the next slide, you'll see uh, a QR code. So go ahead and pull out your phones right now. Scan that code. Here's what we need. If you were born in a country outside of the U.S., we'd love to know where you were born because every year when we do this we celebrate the countries that people were born in more often than not we miss at least one or two and so we don't want to do that this year we want to celebrate what God is doing the places that you're coming from the diversity that is here in this room so take a moment it's a simple form that just asks your name and where you were born and so uh, during those weeks, we take sometimes, we'll display the flags here. Um, sometimes we have flags all throughout this room. It's an incredible picture of, uh, of us and the diversity that is in this room. So let's celebrate that together. Um, so take a moment, scan that code. Now, here's the next part of uh, our celebration. We're also going to, I mentioned a moment ago, languages that are represented in this room. If if you speak another language other than English, would you raise your hand quickly? Wow, that's a lot of hands that are going up. And for a lot of this group, of uh, those of you who speak more than one language, English might be your second language. There's a language that you come from, that you grew up with, that you're, that you're ho that's your home language, your native tongue. We'd, we'd, we'd love to hear that. Uh, well, we, here's what we're going to do. It, during our celebration, Global Outreach Celebration, we're going to play a video of all of these people um, reading John 3.16 together. So we're going to read it in our own languages. So here's what I need you to do. If you do speak another language, English is a language. If you want to read, one, someone, one of you want to read it in English, we'd love for you to do that as well. Scan that code. And on that, the page that it leads you to, just tell us. Tell us your name. Tell us what language you'd love to read this in. And over the next few Sundays, we're going to set up some recording equipment in one of the rooms, and we'll tell you where it is. Um, just come read the language, and we'll compile that together. And let's see what, the, what, we, what we come up with. It'll be an incredible picture of God's diversity that he intends the church to have. So let's do that as a church. Great? Awesome. All right. Wonderful. Well, before Pastor Rick comes up, I have one final spotlight, and that is one of our partners. Uh, they work with Royal Rangers. Uh, they are doing some great work um, all over the world, and they have a they have spotlight for us. But before we play their, their, their video, um, I want to take a moment to recognize our giving, our worship to the Lord. We worship sacrificially. A lot of us giving, it's, it, it, it hurts sometimes, but we are able to do that because God has blessed us in some incredible ways. And so we get to return that back to the Lord and say, God, we partner with what you're already doing. And so take a moment, scan the code. There's an app you can use to give or you can use one of the boxes. And as you give, know that your gift goes towards works all around our community and around the world. You get to partner with, with, uh, uh, with people that that uh, that we get to partner with all in reached and unreached nations. It's an it's a wonderful opportunity for us to be able to take the gospel where we cannot go ourselves. So let's play the video and then we'll get into the sermon.
planning a trip to go over with a couple leaders from Road Rangers International and train uh, junior leaders. This is going to be the first ever junior leader training conducted by Road Rangers International in Africa. It's a very important event, and especially for Malawi. Malawi is the third largest ranger nation in the world. They have around 10,000 boys and girls in Road Rangers but they currently only have about 600 adult leaders for those 10,000 boys and girls. The number of adult leaders has declined a bit in recent years. But the good thing is we grow our own leaders in Well Rangers and we have the training and the resources to show them how to take their teenagers and already plug them into ministry and for, while preparing them for adult life and to be even future adult leaders. But they have a role to play right now. All right, that was Andy and Stacy Whitman and uh, some uh, partners that we support. Royal Rangers is a ministry that uh, the Assemblies of God has had that helps to reach, teach, and keep young people in the gospel and discipleship. And so uh, they're working with that throughout the world. In fact, we're giving them a gift to go to that Malawi trip. And uh, so continue to keep Andy and Stacy in prayer and the work that they're doing as well, as well as our other global outreach partners. I should have said when I was talking about Donna earlier, some of you may be wondering, they're not leaving Mount Hope, they're staying here, so I meant to put that in there in case anyone was wondering. Uh, Donna is still going to continue to lead the MOPS ministry uh, that happens here and periodically be involved in some teaching and leading our kids as well as, as she's able to do that, but uh, they're not leaving uh, Mount Hope, so you'll definitely still see them around. Last uh, Friday night, I was at Canopy Lake Park. How many of you have been to Canopy Lake up there? Yeah, been up. We had a good time. And uh, we, I was up there. We were meeting a, a big group, so I was waiting for some of the other people to arrive. And as I was waiting, it was kind of hot, I was looking for a little bit of shade to stand in. So I found a little piece of shade, and I thought, I'm just going to stand here and wait. And I stood at that place. Um, until a young lady said to me, sir, you can't stand there. And I said, I, I'm just trying to find a little shade. You know, it's hot. She's like, well, unless you have a reentry stamp, you can't, you can't be there because this is for people who are going back into the park and, you know, you're, you can't stand there. And I said, well, I'm just, I was literally, here is where I was standing here is where it would be okay if I was standing. Um, but there was shade there and sun here. What do you do in that moment? What do you do when someone with authority delivers a message that you have, you have to decide? You have a decision. Will you exert your own authority or will you come under someone else's authority? You and I are faced with those kinds of decisions every day. You did not see me on the news Friday night, so I did not get in an altercation with this young lady. I moved, found some more shade someplace, and also got some sermon material out of it. So it's a win-win. But when we have situations like that, we are always we're faced with, we have to decide, are we going to exert our own authority or are we going to come under authority? When Jesus was doing his teaching on this earth, he experienced some dynamics that are similar to that, that people would hear his message and they would have to make that same decision. Is he a person of authority? Will they come under his authority or will they continue simply to exert their own authority? And this happens today in our lives too. There is an ongoing tension between God's authority and your authority in your life. In your life, you're in ongoing tension about whether God, the creator, will have control or you will have control. This happens in big ways and in little ways, in the overall direction of your life, but in every really individual decision this comes into play. Am I going to assert my authority or am I going to come under God's authority? 
The parable we come to today is in Luke chapter 20, and it's really dealing with this question of authority in many ways. Luke chapter 20, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, please take one from under the chair rack. I'd like you to actually look at the passage in front of you this morning, uh, because I want you to see how it relates to another part that of the passage. So look at Luke chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, in the chair rack, there should be one in front of you or behind you or not far from you, and it'll be page 879 on that Bible in your chair rack. Page 879 should be Luke chapter 20. This parable that we're going to look at, it's the second to last parable. We've got this parable, and next week we'll do one more parable. This is the second to last parable that Jesus tells on the Gospel of Luke records. Uh, so we're finishing up this series, and we're going to start a new series in September, and we'll be telling you more about that. But we've got two more parables in the book of Luke. If you're looking at the passage, Luke chapter 20 in verse 9 in the Bible, at least that's in your chair rack, someone tell me what the first word of verse 9 is. And. And. What does and mean? And means we are in, even though we started a new verse in the Bible, it is a continuation of something that has come before. There's a thought that took place before. There's a topic that took place before that is being continued. That conjunction connects it to what is before it, right? We can all do the conjunction, junction. What's your function? You want to go back to Schoolhouse Rock? We are connected to what is before it. So what comes before this? So look at the, look at the passage. Look at, that's why I want you to look at it. So we're in Luke chapter 20. The parable begins in verse 9. But what is the title of the section before it? The authority, the authority, of, Jesus is the authority of Jesus is challenged. And that's what this parable picks up on is that continued conversation of the authority of Jesus being challenged. Here's what's happened just prior to the parable that we're going to look at today. There were some religious leaders, and they really had questions about whether Jesus had the authority to teach and to lead and to do what he was doing. In fact, their question is this. Tell us by what authority you do these things, or who is it that gave you this authority? Actually, more of a command than a question is what they give him. But Jesus knows they're not really interested in dialogue. They're not really interested in discussion. Do you ever have somebody, you know, say something and it sounds like they're trying to engage you in conversation, but they're not really trying to engage you in conversation? They just want to make their point. Jesus knows that's what's going on here. So he responds with his own question. And Jesus says, I'll tell you the answer to that if you will tell me this. John's baptism. John the Baptist. Was it from man or was it from God? And now these religious leaders are stuck in a conundrum. Because they say, they have a little discussion among themselves, and they say, if we say it's from man, then all these people around us who really thought John the Baptist was a prophet are going to stone us. But if we say it's from God, then Jesus is going to say, well, why didn't you believe it? So they're stuck. So what do you do when you're stuck? IDK. They text, I don't know. We don't know. And Jesus said, well, if you're not going to answer my question, then I'm not going to answer yours. And then we pick up on verse 9. Then comes the and. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. 
and they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we hear it with our ears, but we need to hear it with our hearts. Lord, we pause here and ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us now. Help each and every person in this room, Lord, I pray, hear what they need to hear today. Lord, open our hearts and our minds to your word. Your words are life. Lord, yours are the only words that lead to eternal life. So Lord, let us not only hear them, but then take and live them. We ask that you would help us with this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can tell that this parable is not simply a story. It's also almost allegorical. You can see the one-for-one kind of comparisons Jesus is making. The owner is, of course, God. The tenants are those people that Jesus is talking to, those the people that God has created and called to himself and given so much to. Uh, The beloved son is Jesus himself. It's important also maybe to understand a little bit of history to what Jesus is drawing back to in the minds of his listeners. When Jesus talks about a vineyard and someone who has, uh, the owner of a vineyard who has let that out, there's no doubt the minds of his hearers would have hearkened back to the prophet Isaiah And the words that Isaiah gave in Isaiah chapter 5. And let me read those for you because you'll see the comparison. You'll see what's going on. And this would certainly have been in the minds of the hearers that Jesus was talking to. The prophet Isaiah said to the people, Let me sing for my beloved my my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed it out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes. So once again, you have God preparing and giving to his people, and he's looking for a return. He's looking for it to yield grapes. And the next line says, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, O men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. God's saying, judge between me and the people I've given all this to. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? Now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge. And it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make a waste, and it shall be pru- not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice. But behold, bloodshed for righteousness. But behold, an outcry. No doubt the listeners of Jesus' parable would have had these words in the back of their mind. What they would have understood is you are talking about God who has given so much to us, who has called Israel his vineyard. You are talking about us. Which is why they were so offended when Jesus said, The owner will take what is given to them and take it away and give it to someone else. He knew they were talking about them, and he said, no, surely not. It will not be taken away from us. Jesus is pointing out 
within them that there is this relationship between God's authority as the owner and their authority as servants and tenants in the parable and that they do not want to live under God's authority. What he's pointing out is God's beloved son has come. He's right in front of you. He's teaching you and you don't want to listen. In fact, you want to reject it and you want to kill him. And it's the same thing with us in many ways, that Jesus comes with his words and he speaks to us and we have a choice of what we are going to do with that. Are we going to live under God's authority or will we live in our own authority? And here's the reality is that the more you live in authority, the harder it is to come under God's authority. The longer you live in authority of your own life, the harder it is to come under God's authority. This is why I believe it is all the statistics that come out that talk about most of the people, when they come to Christ, will come to Christ, will come to God, will come to follow him before the age of 18. Most people, not all people, there are some in this room that are certainly exceptions to that statistic. But most people will come to follow God before the age of 18. And there are some who say, well, that's because when you get older, you start thinking differently. You've been exposed to a wider world. You have different questions and reasoning. And now you won't. And you have obstacles to coming to the Lord. I don't think that's necessarily it. I think it's more this, this morning, what we're talking about, that the longer you live in control of your own life, the longer you live in complete authority over your life, the harder harder it is to give it over to someone else. The harder it is to say, now I'm going to come under someone else's authority. That if you grow up from a child understanding what it is to follow God and loving him and worshiping him, that when you become an adult, when you get older, that it naturally can follow that. Let me give you one example. When it comes to something like giving or offering or tithing, When you're a child and you get that first $10 a week allowance, it's not that hard. It is a little hard to think about, I'm going to quit that $1 for God. I got $10. I didn't have any money before. I'm going to put $1 for God, my tithe. I'm going to tithe that to God. And you know what? When that child gets older and they get that first $100,000 annual salary, it's not that hard to take that $10,000 and say, that's God's because they've been doing that their whole life. It's not that hard to come under someone's authority when you've been living your whole life under authority. But the longer you live in authority, the harder it is to come under God's authority. It's like, uh, you know, the idea that uh, when I, I talk to married couples and I say, you know, if they're getting married, oh, there's some advantages to waiting a little bit longer, knowing who you are. But when a couple is older and they've been living separate lives their whole time, I say, well, there's one thing you're going to really have to deal with. You have been living in your own authority. You have been living your own life. You have your own checking account, job, career, track, dreams, all that stuff. And now you're going to come together and it's going to be hard for you to take that mentality of always making your own decisions and now taking into account what someone else thinks. You and I face the same thing. God says things and we shake our heads and we wonder if we should accept it. Some of the things God says seem outdated or old-fashioned and we look at our lives and we can be tempted to say, right now, it's my thing, it's my authority, it's my question. It's my to answer. The same questions these religious leaders faced 2,000 years ago is the same question you face today. Will you live in authority or under authority? These religious leaders were trying to say, you have no right to tell us these things. And people today often say the same things to Jesus. But God is patient and generous. He waits. If we see anything else from this parable, we see in this parable that the God, the owner, he's patient and generous because he sends not one, not two, three servants 
to try and compel them to say, look, there is a way to live. There is a way that God has called you to live. It's a good way. It's the right way. This God who has let out his vineyard to you, who has blessed you, who's created you, who has given so much to you and has a plan for you, he's generous and he's patient and he's waiting. He's actually waiting for you to come to him. And there's a, there's a, he is patient and generous as he waits for you. He sent out three servants and his beloved son. Second Peter chapter three says this, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God has allowed this time to be patient with you, to wait for you to recognize his goodness to you, to wait for you to understand his grace and what he offers to you and his love for you, to wait to understand that you might come to a place of repentance and follow him. He's being patient. He's waiting. Some look at it and say, well, he's absent. He doesn't exist. No, there is another explanation. He's being patient. He's waiting. He's giving you time that you might come to him. The question, it's kind of like the parent. The parent, you know, who, who's talking to the child, and the child, he's trying to get the child, look, you've got to do this. And you say, or this is going to happen. And you, whatever kind, you know, you're going to get time out. You're going to, whatever that consequence is. But then the parent often says, look, I'm going to count to three. And if you've given a consequence that you are not willing to follow through on, you are hoping that before you get to three, they do whatever you've told them to do. You know, I, I've said some things that I'm like, oh, there's no way I'm doing that. <laughs> like, you're not leaving the house for a month. I'm like, oh. <laughs> but you, you, what are you doing when you're counting? One, two, what you do? You're being patient. You're being gracious. You're waiting. You're saying, you know what? I don't want to give you this consequence. You don't want the consequence. Just why don't you follow? Why don't you do what's the right thing to do here? And God in some ways is similar and say, look, this consequence of eternity apart from me, this consequence of you living apart from me and not, not having a relationship with me for eternity, I don't want that consequence. I'm going to be patient and generous, waiting for you to come and respond to my love. What will you do with Jesus? That's the question. Don't confuse gracious, a gracious second chance with an unreasonable demand. God is offering you another chance to come to him. If you're sitting here this morning, God is inviting you into relationship with him. He's offering you the opportunity for life. God comes to you and says, I made you and created you. I've entrusted you with the vineyard of your life. I sent my son to die for the forgiveness of sin. And I'm inviting you to accept my authority. Come into a relationship with me because I have the best plan for your life. Do you hear it or harden your heart against it? Finally, when tenants act like owners, it's only a matter of time before there's a problem. When tenants act like owners, it's only a matter of time before there's a problem. Verse 16 says, he will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And what Jesus is saying there very simply is there is a time when there will be no more time. There's a time when there'll be no more time. There's a time for you to respond to God's love and grace, but that time will not be there forever. And he invites you and employs you to respond while there is time. These that are before Jesus, Jesus is quoting a passage from the Psalms, and he's saying, uh, this passage that you've heard about, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. You really didn't know what it meant before, but now they're seeing what it means that the most important stone in the building, that cornerstone, that everything else is set off, that everything else is plumbed off, that everything else is built off, that cornerstone is Jesus himself, and you're rejecting him. 
You're trying to build what God would build without the most important stone. There's a time when there'll be no more time. When tenants act like owners, it's only a matter of time before there's a problem. This reminds me of a friend of mine who used to own a house, in, or maybe still does, in Detroit, Michigan. And uh, when he moved away from Michigan and moved to Massachusetts, they couldn't sell their house. It's a bad housing market, so they decided to rent it out. Uh, they were thankful they rented it out to an NBA basketball player. And he played for the Detroit Pistons, and they rented their house. And uh, they thought, well, we're not going to have trouble getting a rent check, right, from, from him, so that's not a problem. Uh, and everything was fine until he moved out, and you went back and inspected the house, and he had wrecked much of the house um, and had no intentions of paying for the damage that he had done. And so actually, my friends ended up having to go through a legal process, take them to court. They won their case and eventually got their money. But, you know, while he was living there as a renter, he was acting like an owner. And when tenants act like owners, it's only a matter of time before there's going to be a problem. If you choose to live your life in your own authority, in your own strength, for a while, it seems like it doesn't matter. For a while, it seems like your life is going along just fine. But according to this passage, according to the scriptures, as we look at it, it's not forever. That there's a place where the vineyard owner, where the God who created you, who gave you everything that you have, we did not create the goodness and the things that we have, calls into account ourselves and our lives and how we handled it all. So I, I would look at this part of the passage, though, and look not necessarily at those who aren't Christians. I might, I think, ask us as those of us who call ourselves Christians to examine our own hearts. Because I wonder if there are places where we're living like owners instead of stewards of what God has given to us. I wonder if there's a place in your life or in my life as a follower of God where I've said, God, it's all yours where I've said, God, I'm, I, you know, I'm yours, and yet there's a part of my life that really I'm saying is mine, not yours, God, that I have complete authority over. Maybe it's your passions. Maybe it's your position. Maybe it's your possessions. Maybe it's people in your life. But is there any part of your life, man of God, woman of God, is there any part of your life where you have failed to give God complete authority and ownership of, where you're holding it back. Because when tenants act like owners, it's only a matter of time before there's a problem. Our lives are to be lived under authority, God's authority, completely and wholly. And I wonder, Christian, is there places in our lives that we've been holding back, that we've refused to, just like it said in Isaiah, act justly, live righteous lives. And we've been saying, no, I'm going to hold that back for myself instead of living the way that God has called us to live. We live our lives for God under authority, but there's this battle within us because we all have this desire to be in authority. Have you ever gone on vacation and maybe airbnb a house or you rented a house and you get there, and you're there a while, and you're having a great vacation, and you start getting into this conversation, wouldn't it be great to own a house here? Right? You get into those talks, right? Wouldn't it be great if we owned a house here, and we could come up here anytime we want? We often have those thoughts, because we have a desire to be owners at times. But the truth is, there are things I dream of owning that I have no business of owning. Maybe it's true for you, too. Last summer, some friends and I were at Newburyport, and we were uh, there at the docks, and while we were there, we saw this boat uh, pull out of the docks, and uh, this boat was called the Focus, and there's the Focus. I got a picture of it. That is quite a vessel. So we're watching this boat pull away and looking at it, and we're thinking, wow, wouldn't it be great to own a boat like that? 
Wouldn't it be great that instead of being on the docks, that we were setting out to see who knows where it's going. You can go wherever you want to go on focus, right? But here's the truth. The truth is that focus has a fuel tank that holds 17,600 gallons of diesel. At $5 a gallon, conservatively, if you want to pick up the next tank of gas, that'll cost you $88,000 just to fill it with gas. Not talking about the crew, the dock space, never mind just purchasing the boat. Even if someone gave me focus today, I couldn't even leave the dock. There are some things I desire to own that I have no business owning. And you're saying, Pastor, where are you going with this? <laughs> Truth is, your life, you want to live, you want to own, you want to be in authority of my life, but I've got no business owning my life. My life was actually purchased by the precious blood of Jesus that actually the cost of my life, the cost of my sin, my guilt that I incurred before a holy God was a price I couldn't pay. That I want to live as an owner, but I've got no business owning my life. I can't afford it. I can't afford what it costs. Let me close with one more illustration, one more story that maybe brings the point home, this idea of why we would want to live, recognizing God for who God is. It happened very recently, even this morning. So a few years ago when Wendy, moved, Wendy and I moved into our house, we bought a house that had and has a swimming pool. We weren't looking for a house with a swimming pool. Uh, Wendy didn't want a house with a swimming pool. I had to convince her that it would be okay have a house with a swimming pool, but it had a swimming pool, so, and the house was close to the church and had a lot of other things we were looking for, so we ended up with a house with a swimming pool. And swimming pools are great, except when they're not. George Cote knows what I'm talking about here. When, when I was talking to George, and I said, George, we got a house and it has a pool. Do you remember what you said to me, George? I'll quote your words. Your words to me were, I'd rather stick needles in my eye and take care of a house with a swimming pool again. Because he had a house with a pool in Long Island. And, and uh, I didn't really know maybe completely what, I didn't completely agree with George, maybe until this morning. Because this morning, I get up, I get up early when I do on Sunday morning, and I'm having my cup of coffee, and I'm looking out back, and it's dark, and the sun hasn't come up yet, and I'm looking at the pool, and I'm going, wow, that water looks lower than usual. And I thought, well... It was a warm night last night. There's evaporation, whatever. I just, so I just left it. And then a little later, I come back. The sun's come up. It's a little lighter. And I'm looking. I'm going, wow, that looks really low. And I go out. I get a little closer to the point. I'm looking. I'm saying, wow, you know, I never knew the liner had a patch down this end of the pool. I always thought the patch was down the other end of the pool. And it took me about another 20 seconds to think, uh-oh. That is the patch that's supposed to be at the other end of the pool. Uh, the patch had come off, and my pool was draining out the bottom of the pool. So what do I do? At 6.30 in the morning, I uh, get my swimsuit on. I go get uh, some goggles, find some Flex Seal. I look for some, I, I thankfully find a vinyl patch and some underwater glue that I had on hand when I originally put the, and at 6.30 in the morning on Sunday morning when I should be getting ready for church, I am at the bottom of my pool trying to get a patch to stick so that the whole thing doesn't drain all day. Why would I do that? Because I'm an owner. No one else is going to do it. If I was a renter, if I was a tenant, you know what I'd do? finish my cup of coffee, get ready for church. Maybe I'd show up here and shoot the owner a text. Hey, there's a problem with the pool. You might want to fix it. But when you're an owner, you got to own it all. And if you are going to be in charge of your life, you're going to have to own it all. You got to own your guilt, 
shame. You got to take care of, carry all your burdens, all your challenges, all your losses. You own it all. But if you recognize that God's the owner, if you recognize that God is God, then you come to him and say, God, I got a problem here. I'm going to give it over to you. Got a problem with my job, Lord. But Lord, it's, it's your problem, actually. You're the owner. I'm coming to you. Lord, I got a problem with loss and difficulty and pain in my life. But Lord, it's, it's yours. Guilt and shame and my need for forgiveness. It's yours, Lord. It's yours. Here's the idea I want you to leave with this morning. Grasping for that which doesn't belong to you forfeits the grace that is offered to you. And when you and I grasp to hold on, to own things that we ought not own, we forfeit the grace that God freely offers to us. See, life as a steward, life as a tenant, life under God's direction is the life he calls you to, not because he doesn't love you, but because he does. Because he doesn't want you to do this life on your own. Because he doesn't want you to carry these burdens on your own. Because he doesn't want you to have to do it all on your own. God wants to do the with God life with you. Let's pray and I'm going to sing this song of worship. Lord, God, I pray for anyone in this room who may not know you and may not have given control over their life and has held back on giving control of their life over to you. And maybe this morning they realize it that by doing so, they are carrying more than they ever desired to carry, that they have to care for more than they ever realized they have to care for, that, Lord, that, God, maybe you are good and they can trust you with their life. If that's you this morning, I would encourage you. It's not hard. In fact, God invites you to just pray a simple prayer and invite him to take control of your life to invite him to forgive you, to guide you, to lead you, and to be the one whose authority you live under, that you might trust him with your life. And I invite you to do that this morning, and he will come into your life and live with you. And if you're here and you're a Christian, if there's any part of your life that is not completely God's, now is the time to say, God, it's yours. Lord, help us. Lord, we want to be owners. We, are, we, we want to grab at that which we should not grab at. We've been doing it since the garden, and we continue to do it. But Lord, help us to live under your authority because it is in that place where we will find life. It's in that place where we will find hope. So, Lord, we trust you this morning. Help us to live this word in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and we'll sing this closing song together in worship.